It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, and as we await the CBA finally getting decided one way or the other so that we can get some football in the field, we have a very special guest to join us to talk football. Ryan Coop, who's a host of the Canadian Football Countdown. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I wish it was under, you know, better circumstances of, uh, of a season getting ready to start here. But uh, any night I can talk football is, uh, is a good night in my book. So uh, thanks for having me. You're from Winnipeg. You're still in Winnipeg. What was life like as a kid? Were you guys, the whole family, into football? Yeah, I wasn't super into football as a young kid necessarily. Like, I would watch it here and there with my dad. I think he would take us to, as if I remember correctly, he would take us to a game here and there growing up. Uh, I, I remember being at the at the cabin and on a small TV there watching watching some of the games with my dad and my grandpa. Uh, I remember that. I want to say it was around... Around 2006, 2007, I started getting a little bit more into watching the games regularly. I don't know why, but one of my first like vivid memories of the CFL is a Bombers and Argos game being blacked out on the TV due to the local area blackouts. And I don't know why I remember that. Uh, you know, and then 2007, I want to say is the first season where I really started watching heavily from there. And of course, not a great season as a Bombers fan with the way it ended, but, uh, they went to the great cup. It just didn't go quite the way we wanted there. And so that was kind of growing up and I started getting more into football, watching it a little more often. Then I think was the year before the Bombers switched to the new IG Field Stadium. We had, for my dad, gotten him a a mini pack of tickets for, I think it was his birthday. We had started going to a couple of games here and there. And then uh, we kind of, you know, then once they moved to the new stadium, switched that to season tickets. Been at the stadium in in our seats up in Section 234 uh, ever since. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where the fandom's gone. And, uh, well now a- anytime I can catch something CFL, I'm taking that opportunity. That stadium in Winnipeg. I love it. The acoustics in there are just unbelievable. Oh yeah, it is. It is a blast. Uh, it is any, any day I can go to the game. It is a highlight of the year for me to, to experience that. There's nothing like it. Football is a passion for you. You've got season tickets, but there's a podcast. And how does that all come together? Yeah. So we started our podcast back, I think it was summer of 2014 was when we first started. And it was actually under an old, a different name. Originally it was the three down football show. A couple of years in, we rebranded to the Canadian football countdown. And that had kind of started, you know, just chatting with my co-host, Mike, Michael Garrell, uh, we had been, you know, just been chatting football, texting back and forth while we were watching games regularly. He did it. He was doing a lot of work in the media. He runs a media company. So we had been, you know, chatting back and forth. And one day I was like, yeah, I, I remember a thrilling end to a game. I, I want to say it was an Edmonton BC game that, uh, ended up, uh, on a missed last second short field goal, uh, like a shocking, shocking end to the game. And I was like, yeah, I want to talk about this regularly. I was like, we should start a podcast. And, and so he said, yeah, we'll come on, put it, we'll do it on the station, you know, come in weekly, let's do a radio show. And 
So it started off with that. Uh, we were good friends for, for many years leading up to that. And it started off with that. And then, you know, ended up going uh, along the ways to where we're at now. And, and, you know, now the podcast has just grown into a regular part of life. Uh, we've expanded expanded the group for the podcast, added two new members, Trey and Adam, for this year as well. So uh, we got a whole crew now uh, doing uh, lots of great CFL talk. Yeah, the podcast has morphed into that. How do you like the roundtable approach that you guys have? I like it. I love getting a bunch of different perspectives uh, because you, you can have the, you know, it's a lot easier for two people necessarily or to potentially agree on, on uh, you know, have the same takes on something. Once you start increasing the numbers, uh, you get a lot of fresh perspectives, I think. Uh, so I, I've really enjoyed having, uh, you know, just these roundtable discussions on topics uh, like, you know, the only topic there really is to talk about right now, which is the CBA. Yes, that dreaded uh, three-letter uh, word. Well, let's get into it. We're recording on Tuesday, the 17th of May. There are no plans for the two sides to get together. It's almost a game of who's going to blink first. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a situation where it seemed like things were making progress late last week. They had, you know, 12-hour meeting days, which I can't even imagine what that entails and what the how exhausted you are coming out of that. And then it seems like, oh, maybe there's potential. And then now we're... You hear crickets and the clock is ticking and we're not sure uh, when these sides are going to reconvene and how close they are even potentially. Uh, they could be close, but not if you're not talking, that's not going to go from close to done. That's very true. And that's why I, I would imagine right now that the executive of the CFLPA are waiting for that text or phone call to come in and say, let's meet at X hotel in Toronto. And the CFL might be trying to wait them out to see if they'll try to get the uh, negotiations going first. It's kind of a posturing game in a sense. Yeah. I, as somebody who's a big fan of reality TV competitions and like strategy games and stuff like that, uh, it's fascinating to me watching the two sides trying to negotiate through this and the tactics they, they, they put into it. Like everybody's asking, why are we starting these CBA negotiations a couple weeks before the, before the season starts? Why aren't we starting this back in January? And it's, it's because the CFL, I think is trying to pressure the CFLPA into taking a deal that's more beneficial for them uh, by putting it down to the last minute. Famously, Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner has said they did not waste a crisis when they had the canceled 2020 season in that you would have thought that they would have come to some idea about what they wanted to offer the players. I would have thought during that same period, they would have been talking to the players saying, look, this is where we're heading. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because you think that those conversations should be going on regularly if this is truly a, an agreement and a union between these two sides uh, working together to promote the growth of the league. You would hope those conversations are going on regularly, not, uh, no, we're not going to talk at all uh, until, okay, now, let, now let's start talking, uh, but I'm going to talk to you and you're going to take what I'm, you know, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of give and take, at least from what we've seen. Uh, there might be behind closed doors, but it uh, seems to be kind of, here's my, here's what I want, take that. No, here's what I want, take that, not... Okay, well, let's let's look into these issues together. The CFLPA 
is looking at that salary cap and trying to figure out ways to increase it while the CFL is trying to get maybe not the cap frozen or only marginally increased, but maybe looking at inventive ways to bring money into it so that it doesn't hit as hard in their mind. And that would be CFL Ventures, for instance. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tricky balance, right? Because uh, you have a lot of the CFL teams that have been like lost money last season and the past couple of years, especially with the COVID loss season there. So, you know, the players want more money and I, I think they, they deserve more money. You certainly have a lot of guys making minimum salaries. Like the CFL is maybe the only professional sports league I know of where you genuinely have players that are going out and pursuing other career opportunities because they're more financially stable for you, right? Where you have a lot of these guys making minimum dollar in this league and uh, it's just not enough to sustain it, especially with inflation rates these days. Well, and the dollar for the American players as well, because they take Mm -hmm. 20 to 25% hit right away. You have these guys that are, you know, they're trying to get a fair deal here price-wise for them while you have, uh, like you said, the owners trying to uh, keep those prices uh, down as much as possible and, and, you know, try to try to help their bottom line as well. Interestingly, it's been repeated on several platforms that among the other professional leagues, players are anticipating roughly half of all the revenues that the league makes in a given season will be coming to them. And the CFL, that number is well below that. I would venture to say 25 to 30% of total revenues come back to the players. There's a lot of room for growth. The CFL, of course, as you mentioned, lost money. But here's an interesting caveat to that. The Elks, in spite of a 3-11 and season, in spite of everything that they had to do to change the managerial setup and the coaching setup and eat those contracts lost 1.1 million only last year. Yeah. And I, I would dare say if we're having a season this year, they will be in the positives with all of the things that uh, they've done since that miserable season last year. Like I know you had Victor Cooey here, uh, president of the Elks on the podcast, like, that the number of things I cannot like I can never stop ranting and raving about how many good things he has done to turn things around and they're going to get people in the stands this season and I think the the bottom line is turning going to turn around for the Elks here just to reach that point again but if the Elks only lose 1.1 million how rough has it been for the CFL if they've had a season that was so terrible and still did not suffer a calamitous loss. Yeah, well, I think part of that is Edmonton is one of those teams that I think is a little higher up normally uh, in terms of the, now I don't have their profit numbers off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, a successful franchise for many years. They, they've packed their stadium quite a bit. Last year, I think, is where we started to see a bit of discourse among the fans. So that's why you see it dropped that $1.1 million loss, whereas you know, you look at the the age-old uh, criticism of Toronto and BC and markets like that, where which I think sometimes is unfair criticism uh, as well, where, you know, these teams don't draw in as many fans necessarily. I think those are kind of the teams uh, people are more concerned about uh, in terms of financial well-being uh, of the, the teams. The interesting part for those two franchises, and let's maybe move Montreal into the same mix because it's a huge city as well, 
they've got other revenue streams available to them through sponsorships. There's a lot more head offices of major corporations that are available to them than there would be in Regina, Calgary, or Winnipeg, or Ottawa. Yeah, that's something I wonder if, you know, in when we're getting to talk in the money section of, of the CBA agreement is there's ways besides just strictly increasing the salary cap that you can improve revenue for both the league and for the players individually, right? That's things like sponsorships, partnerships, things like that, where then, yeah, if you really start promoting these guys, and maybe that's part of it as well, is really just like, switch your marketing focus to promoting the players on and off the field, well, that's going to help bring in some revenue for both the league and the players there as well, right? Part of the package that the CFL has offered, as reported by Dave Naylor, is they are looking at the ratio. And what they want is a nationalized American to be counted as one of the seven nationals on the field. For the most part, maybe the CFLPA would like to see the seven protected and have that as an eighth player. But I imagine there's probably some willingness to give on that just a little bit, especially too that now a Canadian quarterback counts as a national. Yeah, I found that clause a little bit interesting because it's only one nationalized American there, right? And so it gets you thinking like, uh, you know, part of the reason they want to do that is to promote uh, an American player sticking with his team for, for you know, a, a longer period of time. But you got a big roster and it's only one guy that counts as that. Like, is that really going to, you know, give you that resolution that you're looking for from that? So I'm surprised, I'm almost surprised the league wasn't trying to push for, for maybe a little bit more uh, of that, so to say. But uh, I can also see where the PA is like, no, we... Let's, let's focus on Canadians count towards the ratio type of thing here, right? So I agree with what you were saying, where I think it is a bit of a battle back and forth of, you know, CFL wants seven, but that American player to count towards it, the PA probably wants something where that, no, that's an additional clause on top of uh, the Canadian spots in there. I wonder too, if let's say there's a nationalized American and opening night he gets injured. Can you nominate someone else to take that role, or is that it for the season? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a good question. I would imagine, right, because, uh, like, the Canadian ratio like that is is the same thing, where, you know, what Canadian guy gets injured, a new one comes onto the roster, takes a spot. So I would imagine the, the nationalized American would be the same there as well. But, uh, no, good question. Could be a hybrid of the designated import, as you were. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that they're looking at doing now we've talked about the cap and the offer from the CFL was at beginning in 2023 so basically we're status quo through this season but 2023 the cap would go up a minimum of 100,000 per season and that if 25% of revenue growth sharing formula amount is greater than 100,000 then the cap would automatically see that number applied to it so there is potential for more growth that comes back to cfl ventures game day betting obviously and what uh, genius sports provides yeah and you mentioned betting i think that's a big factor to include in these negotiations because last year was the first season we saw it uh you know kind of play into things i think coming into this year it's uh, a lot more regulated there's a lot more sponsorships out there I mean, just watching the NHL playoffs, literally every second commercial you see is a betting commercial and even segments during intermission, like uh, they really try to shove it down your throats. Um, 
because they know people are interested in that, right? And it's a way for people who might not necessarily care about a game that much. If they can watch a game and make some money off of it, then uh, people are always looking for a way to make money, right? So I, I think betting could bring in a decent amount of revenue for the league. So I'm curious to see if they're factoring that into the numbers. I know it's kind of hard to do because you don't really have the baseline values to look at of how much it might bring in. But you got to think, you know, especially if we're looking at a potential seven-year deal, like within the next seven years, that's that's going to be a sizable piece of the pie. The other thing too, the union can have an accountant have access to all financial records for review. And of course, when you're tying in revenue streams to the cap, you want to know that everything's above board. And and that I applaud the CFL for that offer. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, wishful thinking here, can we extend that to fans as well to get an insight into the cap a little bit? Um, because the CFL is such a closed book when it comes to the salary cap. We'll occasionally get the articles out there. Oh, this team is over the salary cap or things like that. Or a team like the Argos signs, you know, 5 million free agents. And we're all talking about, well, how are they fitting this under the cap? Like what the heck, uh, you know, most other leagues, you get that transparency. Okay. This is actually the terms of the deal. We've gotten a, a lot more, I think in recent years out in the open, just from, from digging from, you know, the insiders on, on things like that. But you know, the CFL should be an open book for the players as well to look into this, uh, especially, and uh, sure would be nice uh, if uh, we could get a closer look at some of these things as well. Well, part of the equation to get the salary cap in the first place was that the CFL would have an independent forensic auditor to make sure everybody was playing by the rules. And I know that the Argonauts were the last team to go over the cap, but I always give them a little bit of grace because they were also subsidizing the Montreal Alouettes that year. Mm. And I kind of feel that if they're doing that, if they're over the cap by $40,000, I'm not worrying about it. And the CFL basically said that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point uh, to put into that too, yeah. One of the biggest things that the players are arguing against comes down to practice times. Clearly, the, the players have genuine concerns. One is, is that padded practices, teams may have one hour padded practice per week in one day during the club's regular season to the maximum of 12. So in other words, you have 12 padded practices in a given season. That is a huge change from what we see right now. The league wants padded practices back because they, they want to simulate actual game situations in practice, right? And they feel they probably feel that's affecting the product you see out there on the field. Players, on the other hand, rightfully so, are concerned about injuries. You know, if we're starting to tackle in practice, I think it was, I don't know if it was on Twitter or in an article or an interview, I think Adam Big Hill, uh, I think it was Adam Big Hill had said uh, this week that uh, injuries are down 33% since they, they stopped the padded practices. So, you know, it's a fine balance once again there where the league wants a better product out on the field, but I would dare say you're getting a better product out there if you're reducing injuries and having the best players available out on the field. The argument, of course, on the opposite is sort of as you indicate that if you don't have a padded practice where players are hitting each other, they're not getting used to game simulated play. Therefore, the players are just not as 
in tune with what's needed to be done. You just want the players to be safe. You know, it's like any other job. You want to go to work day to day and feel like you're safe doing your job out there. Right. And uh, clearly that's a concern for the players right now. I do think the league's proposal is interesting of, you know, a set number one practice per week kind of thing to put the pads on here, 12 weeks and not the full season kind of thing. I feel like that's an interesting middle ground and, uh, and I would be actually interested to see like how teams manage that, you know, which 12 weeks are you prioritizing of your season? So to say of, Oh, this is a big rivalry game. Kate, let's put the pads on for this practice. You know, Uh, really interesting that they came to that number. I wonder too, maybe if it's going to be applied at the beginning of the season. So June, July, and August, getting everybody well into game shape. And by the time the the wear and tear of the season hits you in October, well, we're done. That's it. Yeah. Or you might see it the opposite, right? Where it's uh start of the season, you know, the, the, the season doesn't start till Labor Day type of thing, right? So as people say, even though Week one games uh, matter as much in the standings as week 20, but, uh, you know, it gets down to the rivalry games straight down the stretch. So maybe you want to gear up for the playoffs uh, like that. Uh, so uh, I'm sure different teams would have different strategies. Uh, now, the other thing that Naylor is reporting is that flexible practice times are something that the CFL is looking for. You almost can tell this is a coach-driven negotiation on some <laughs> levels. Teams can hold longer practice times at certain times of the season balanced by shorter ones at others. Basically, let's say teams have 500 hours that they can have practice time. Well, now they can allot differently instead of having 25 sets of 20 or whatever per week, move it around a little bit and move that needle. Yeah. I I wonder how crucial this actually is because it's been the same way for how many years now in terms of, you know, practice scheduling and things like that. Like is, is switching this up really like, how high on the priority of list for the CFL is this is what I'm wondering. I would love to see a, a ranking of, of what the priority issues are. We know what the PA has said are their, their priority issues. Like you said, safety is a big one of them there. What is most important to the league here is what I would be interested in uh, and where this falls into that, because this kind of goes back to when Matt Dunnigan was a coach with the uh, Stampeders some 20 years ago, and he got into big trouble by extending practices and got called to task for it. So this is kind of 20 years later coming back to that question and say, well, we want it more institutionalized. We won't go crazy, but we do want that flexibility in a given week to, instead of having a two-hour practice to go to three. Yeah, and I I think it also depends on what style of practices we're talking about, right? Like if we're talking about maybe one or two days, we're going to have an extra hour of game film study. Like what you don't want is the uh, the miracle on ice uh, situation here where we're bag skating right after the game, you know, for hours and hours type of thing, which I don't think teams would necessarily go that hard on it. But uh, you definitely don't want the case where, again, injury is a problem players out there practicing uh, on the field for, for far longer than necessary. And, and you would think that players don't want the double whammy of a long practice and the padded practice at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the league ultimately is coming around on so many different things. They're going to cover uh, players' medical expenses. This is really important in the States for an extra year beyond your uh, career is over. So it's now up to four from three. They're compensating more 
personal appearances on behalf of the league. And that's kind of a nice thing. The big one, I think, for the players and there is talk of a guaranteed contract for a team that's trying to re-sign a veteran. And 50% of his contract could be guaranteed with that existing team. And if he's released before the final season of the contract, can collect 50% guarantee and still sign with another team. And now, now they don't really define veteran, how many years you have to be before this even kicks in. But This is one of the things that's most important to me as a fan to see in the new CBA. And of course, the player safety and you know a fair deal revenue sharing wise is very important to me as well. But guaranteed contracts, I think, is something that we see every other sports league, it seems. Uh, It makes sense uh, to do that as well, because the player has to make a commitment to a team for for a two, three year deal if they sign it. But the team doesn't have to make that commitment to the player and can sign and can release them the day before giving them that that bonus they signed for. Like we see it time and time again. In fact, you know, we've seen the coaches cap come into place where, okay, you let a, you let a coach go during the season. Uh, well, they count towards your, your salary cap still. You still have kind of a negative effect from that. And we've had teams, you know, have a couple extra coaches on the book where you can't uh, then you know, get into an interesting hiring scenario. So why does that apply to the coaches? But we don't have anything of that sort for the players right now. That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think it also... Uh, is one of those things that does lead into, you know, much like that nationalized American, players sticking around with their teams longer, which I think is good for consistency for the league. It's good for fan interest, jersey sales. In a sense, I think guaranteed contracts are going to supplant bonuses. Mm. Because in a guaranteed contract situation, if you cut that player, that's going to hurt you. Where in a bonus situation, they're off the books and I'm not paying the bonus. Yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent point there as well. I agree. So I imagine that's something that uh, Elamimian and company were negotiating hard for. Negotiations are never tea parties. They are real nuts and bolts, grind it out. Let's get this figured out so that it works for everybody. Because if one side wins and massively wins in a negotiation, it tends to lead to big trouble. And we've seen one side win in these negotiations for year after year after year until now, right? This is the first player strike since 1974, I think it is. And uh, I think this is a real shock for the league to see the players actually saying, no, we're going to strike. We're going to we're gonna wait until you give us a fair deal that we're happy with. As much as I hate to see training camp, preseason games, et cetera, be missed and really wish we weren't in this situation at all, you know, if I have to miss a preseason game or two now for a deal the players are satisfied with over the next seven years, I'm, I'm willing to trade that. In 1974, the players struck went out for 12 days. George Reed was the president of the Players Association at that time. There's a great feature piece by Rob Vanstone when he talks to George Reed about this all those years ago. And Reed said that their, their basic premise, part of it was just to get base salary improved. And we may laugh at it now, but he said it was significant then. Base salary in the CFL was $3,000. That's insane. Even with 1970s money, that's quite low. And that's what the Players Association struck for, was to get that significantly improved. And they did. They, They won that. 
the CFL is also wanting in this contract that they can start the season a month earlier. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> Sitting in a stadium when it's minus 20 to watch a football game to me is just ridiculous. As much as I love football, I don't want to have frostbite to enjoy the game I love. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I like moving it back a month. Granted, with the, the kind of weather we've had lately, I guess snow probably uh, would have been close to still on the ground with the season starting here. Those late November, early December games, you know, they're they're a special time to uh, to remember uh, whatever brain cells you have left that aren't frozen after sitting out there. But uh, I would I, I would agree. I would much rather uh, go to a game in nicer weather. How cold was it for the West final last year? Minus 25, I, I think it was, it was brutal. Uh, yeah, rough weather that day. It's just to me, why would you want your showcase games being hampered by freezing conditions? Let's finish the season at the end of October at the latest or the very first week of November. Most people can tolerate that. Yeah, and uh, you would get, I think, a a lot more people uh, interested in coming into the stands, especially, you know, you get into games in October, November, the NHL season starts up again. You know, cities that have both. We had a couple of games last season where same day, Jets and Bombers on the same day. Well, are you going to take, especially when the team, you know, has kind of first place locked up going into the final weeks, are you going to take sitting out there in in minus 10, minus 15 weather, or are you going to go to the Jets game? A lot of the people that aren't the diehard football fans necessarily, and even some of the diehard football fans, going to go to that indoors Jets game in that case. The other aspect, too, I'm just thinking about this, getting the season started a month earlier, you're going to hit harder into the USFL and the XFL schedule, and you're moving away from the NFL schedule. Which I I think is fine, right? Because if you've got a CFL game, look at playoff games on Sundays. Well, that collides directly with NFL Sundays. And uh, with these other leagues that are starting up, you know, yeah, people might might enjoy these leagues as well. But I think the the CFL has a better matchup against them than it does going head to head with the Giants, basically. Right? No, I'm not talking about the New York Giants. Well, it's maybe if they're playing the same day, but uh, the the Giant that is the NFL itself. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID nineteen on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. As we record this, Wednesday comes up. If there's no talks, we know for a fact that that first preseason game between Winnipeg and Saskatchewan is off the books. They can't reschedule that. Do you think there's going to be a point where there's going to be a critical mass where we have to do this by this date so we can start at least getting the remainder of the preseason games? Because there's a boatload of them after. There's eight more that are up for grabs. Yeah, I don't know if the preseason is is that point for them because we just saw a season last year with no preseason, right, coming out of the COVID year. But I think the real sticking point for, for both sides, especially the league here for sure, I would say, is that week one of the regular season where, well, let's get this solved so we're not moving those games around. You know, if we got to cancel a week of preseason, I think uh, they're, they're potentially willing to, to do so. But once you start missing the regular games uh, and players start missing their regular game checks, the CFL teams miss the you know stadium revenue, 
that's when it's going to start getting into dire situations for these teams. So I think as we you know get closer and closer to that June 9th day, uh, I think the pressure will be put on a, a lot more. Well, the other thing too is, is that, and the CFL does not live in isolation. The World Cup of Soccer is right on the heels of the Grey Cup for TSN. They have a lot of money tied up in that and a lot of airtime tied up in that. And if the Grey Cup gets moved into the middle of that, that's going to create a huge headache. I, I don't know how much TSN actually gets to, you know, play into CBA negotiations. But if you're looking at the season and the season being in jeopardy, you make a great point there that you really can't push the Grey Cup back far if you want, you know, the full TV opportunities. Well, and the other thing too that happens when you break away from the table because you're kind of when you're negotiating in the room you're almost in absentia of everything around you and once you get away from that you can talk your constituents in the CFL's case would be the board of governors in the uh, players association's case it would be team reps and find out what the mood is out there what do people feel maybe there is more consensus than you think Uh, most I think people believe and at least judging from what Brian Ramsey has said in the past they're very close. Maybe nine out of 10 things on, on the board are agreed to, but that 10th one is a real stickler. Yeah, exactly. And that's how a negotiation goes too, right? And that's why these take so long also is because both sides are trying to come out of this as the winner. The optimal thing for both sides to get a good deal here would be to work together on getting a good deal that makes sense for both sides. Whereas each side is going to keep going to try to sway this in their direction. And uh, the longer it takes to do so, it hurts them all more. You think back to the end of the 2019 Grey Cup. Nobody would have thought we were going to go through COVID. The XFL discussion, do we have four downs, three downs? As a fan, you're just getting beat up. Everything that's going on, it's just everything seems to be wrong. Well, we need something positive to get people feeling good that I'm there's a reason why I support this league so ardently. Yeah, I think it's a really crappy timing coming right out, out of the COVID loss season here too, to have these CBA negotiations. Like I, I don't have a problem with the, the CFLPA standing up and, you know, here to get themselves a fair deal. I want a deal that they're satisfied with because if both sides are, are satisfied with the deal and working in unison, a lot of great things can happen with this league over the next uh, seven years or however long the deal ends up being. But you're right. You have those concerns of you already lost money due to COVID. You probably lost a, you know, fans uh, with the season off. You have these other leagues starting up, USFL, XFL. Those are going to start drawing you know, attention of players, attention of fans uh, as well over time where – you know, it kind of seems like one thing after another for the CFL. Uh, let, let's get this deal done, and let, you know, and let's get the let's get back to putting the product out there on the field and growing this league uh, without the distractions. Your podcast is the Canadian Football Countdown. Where can people find it, and where can people find and follow you? Yeah, people can find our podcast pretty much any of your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, Just search for the Canadian Football Countdown there. Uh, We're also on YouTube. You can subscribe there. Just search for the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, Hopefully lots of live content coming there this season. Find us on social media, uh, Twitter, at CF Countdown Pod, Facebook, the Canadian Football Countdown there. 
Uh, for myself, I don't tweet a whole ton, but uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at CooperTrooper42, starts with a K, and uh, yeah, talking some CFL there, a little bit of hockey, big Tampa Bay Lightning fan coming off the big win over the Toronto Maple Leafs in Game 7, uh, and you know, uh, into Round 2 against Florida now, so uh, that's pretty much what I got going on on social media, so uh, yeah, you can follow me there. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.